Well, amen to that, uh, the wonderful cross. Uh, what a beautiful picture uh, as we transition now to looking into the Word of God. So I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 6. After taking a bit of a break this summer from our study of the Gospel of John, so we could really consider what God's Word has to say about the importance of the local church in the life of every Christian, we are back, and I am more invigorated than ever to continue to walk through this powerful Gospel account of the life of Jesus that was written by the Apostle John. And just as a reminder, the Gospel of John sort of stands alone. We've mentioned this on numerous occasions. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as the synoptic Gospels because they all include similar accounts of the life of Jesus, but 90% of the Gospel of John is unique to itself. And there's no other book in the Bible better equipped to lead a sinner to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. How many of you are what we would consider to be empty nesters? Raise your hand if you are an empty nester. (laughs) Well, it's 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 been a it's been Did I miss something? (laughs) It's been a little over a year for us, but it's still very strange not to have our kids in our home. For 32 consecutive years, we had at least one of them living with us. And so, I'm not going to lie, we, we, we kind of like it a little bit, but we're still getting used to it. And so, Kathy and I spend a lot more time together, just, just me and her. But we've come to realize that most of our dates outside of the home all seem to be related to food. We either go out to eat or we go out to buy food to bring home and eat. And when Kathy and I are in the Lancaster area, we will often check out the QVC outlet store and the old Rockville outlets. And just recently, Kathy got a great deal on what's called a food ninja. It's like an oven, air fryer, and toaster all in one. And so you see what I mean. Somehow, someway, food or the preparation of foods involved when we go out together. And of course, across from the QVC outlet is a Pepperidge Farms outlet store that we also like to visit. And so we usually buy a couple of loaves of bread from there because it's really good bread. And if you know me well, uh, the bread is just a dollar a loaf. And so we usually get a couple of those while we're out that way. You know, there's something very tantalizing about food, right? Uh, Probably because we need food for our physical sustenance. I mentioned bread, Bread of of some sort has always been a staple of civilization. Oftentimes the word bread is used as a catch-all term for for food. We even use the phrase breaking bread together when we share a meal with someone. And really, it's the subject of bread that's at the heart of what we want to consider from God's Word today. In verse 35 of our passage in John chapter 6, Jesus calls himself the bread of of life. It's the first of seven major I am statements that Jesus makes here in the Gospel of John. So take a look at verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now those are powerful, powerful words because of what Jesus meant when he used them. 
But what he meant by those words and how they were received were not the same. The phrase, I am, is the covenant name of God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. Exodus 3.14 says, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, This is what you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And as we'll see today, Jesus' use of this phrase, I am, serves a couple of important purposes. First, it's a sure reference to his self-sufficiency. The theological term is the saity. No one among us is self-sufficient in that we need nothing or no one else, right? We are all dependent on many things. And as we've just said, we're dependent upon food. We're dependent upon food and water and, and, and whatever else for our own physical sustenance. So we are dependent people, but but God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything or anyone for his sustenance. So when Jesus uses the phrase, I am, he's revealing, revealing himself as the self-sufficient God of the universe. Second, each of these seven great I am statements are all followed by a metaphor. And in each case, the metaphor points to Jesus as the Savior of the world. Here in John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In John 8, in verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, verses 7, verse 9, he says, I am the door of the sheep. In John chapter 10, verses 11 and 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. And then in John eleven twenty five, 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14 and verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then in John chapter 15 and verse 5, he says, I am the true vine. And we'll break down each of these great I am statements as we continue to move along through this gospel. But today, we want to concentrate our attention on this profound claim that Jesus is the bread of life. And so what does he mean by that? Well, Jesus is teaching the people a very powerful lesson about the salvation that he alone provides to sinners. And we'll see today that Jesus will play off his astonishing miracle of feeding the 5,000 with five small loaves of bread and two little fishes to teach the people that it's one thing to provide physical bread, which he did, but it's quite another to provide spiritual bread. And as I said, bread is a staple food in most societies. We often hear bread and water paired together as the two essentials for sustenance. The truth is a person can survive a a long, long time on only bread and water. But the point is, physical life is temporal. There's an expiration date. The lifespan in the United States for 2023 is somewhere around 79 years. You remember Methuselah was 969 years that he lived upon this earth. But physical life is temporal. No matter how you look at it, whether it's life expectancy now of 79 years or at the life of Methuselah who lived 969 years, can you even imagine life 
is temporal. Physical life is temporal. And we think so temporally, don't we? But the point that Jesus is trying to make, he's trying to drill down with these people and to let them know that spiritual life is eternal. It is, it is forever. And so bread is frequently mentioned in the Scriptures and played a big part of the Jewish Passover meal. If you recall, the Jews were required to eat unleavened bread during the Passover feast, and then for seven days afterwards, they were to eat, bre- eat bread as a celebration of God's deliverance from the hands of the Egyptians. And you remember that when the Jews were wandering around in the desert for 40 years, God rained down bread from heaven to sustain them. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, which we'll do at the end of our service today, there are two symbolic elements. One is the bread and the other is the cup. The bread represents the body of Christ and the cup represents the blood of Christ. So it was a big deal for the people to hear Jesus say that he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. They're, they're, they're processing what it is that he means when he says this. They had followed Jesus around. Most of the people had heard of him. They, they knew of these great miracles that he was performing. So he was like this guy that would go from place to place to place and would draw these crowds because of these miracles that he was performing. And so they're trying to process what he is saying when he says that I am the bread of life. That's a huge deal to the Jewish people because bread was such a huge part of their society. But while it was a big deal, the people didn't grasp the meaning of Jesus' statement. Instead, the people made four profound errors that we're going to see today as we examine this text. And so what I'd like to do is to read the passage to you, beginning in verse 22, and read it all the way through verse 40, and then we'll take a look at it in detail this morning. John chapter 6 beginning with verse 22. The next day, the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And so they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? 
Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the third day. Friends, those are some of the greatest words in Scripture. If you want to know what is important in life, It's not all the physical things that we think are important. It's not how comfortable we live. It's not the people that we get to hang out with. It's not all these temporal things that we put so much stock into in this life. It's the eternal life that Jesus Christ came to offer to those who would believe in him. Think of the selfless, selflessness of Jesus. Jesus, who is God, God incarnate, came down from the glories of heaven to the earth to do the will of the Father. And we're going to see that today, and we're going to examine that today. What exactly was the will of the Father? Why did Jesus have to come to the earth? Why couldn't all of this have ha- had just transpired or happened and him stay in, in the glories of heaven No, Jesus had a mission, and God had a plan for Jesus. And so that's what we want to consider today. And so Jesus had just fed the 5,000, and he just had walked on water, which is the fourth and fifth miraculous signs of his deity. And the people had correctly recognized him as the one Moses had written about in Deuteronomy chapter 18. But their summation was that Jesus must be on a similar mission as Moses. They thought Jesus would be the earthly king or or earthly leader that they had longed for, who would miraculously feed them and protect them from their enemies and restore their country. But of course, that's not why Jesus came to the earth. The people's wrong deduction leads to four profound errors here in our text, verses 22 through 40. And if you're taking notes this morning, the first error that we find is the wrong exploration. The wrong exploration. Look at verse 22. The next day, the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea... uh, saw that there was no boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away. And so, verse 23, there came 
other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread and the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get there? So it's the next day. It's the next day, the next 24-hour period of time following Jesus' miraculous walking on the water. And the people who had been following Jesus around, they'd lost track of him. And so they get in their boats and they go out looking for him. And word had traveled fast. And so there are all kinds of folks out searching for Jesus. Their exploration, however, was not because of who he was, but because of what he was doing. There's a big difference. Jesus was at the height of his popularity, and folks were absolutely captivated by his miracles. Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't, wouldn't we be? Wouldn't we be captivated? If there was someone that was going around and performing miracles, I mean, think about all the people who follow after these charlatans who pretend like they're performing miracles, and they're really not, but they sort of put on a show and some guy has one leg that's shorter than the other, and they pull the leg, and all of a sudden their leg is longer, and boy, oh boy, the crowds go crazy. Jesus was literally performing miracles, things that man cannot do. So everyone is following after him. He's at the height of his popularity. Folks are absolutely captivated by him. By the way, the setting of these two most recent miracles that Jesus performed was over on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Tiberias, that's mentioned here in the text, was located on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. So let me give you a little geography lesson here as it relates to Israel. Israel is um, it, it's a narrow country, okay? It's a narrow country. At, at the top of Israel is sort of the Sea of Galilee, okay? So you have this body of water here. It's connected by the Jordan River down to the Dead Sea. On the western side of Israel is the Mediterranean Sea. So you have the Mediterranean Sea here. You have Israel, this long, narrow country. And to the right is the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River. On the other side of the Jordan River is the country of Jordan, but at the bottom of Israel is the Dead Sea, and they call it the Dead Sea because of the high salt content that's there, and, and nothing can live in it, so it's dead. So at the top of Israel is the Sea of Galilee, and all this stuff that's going on that we're reading about, it's all happening up there, okay? And so I've said before that the Sea of Galilee is not all that big. It really isn't. I mean, when we go to Israel in November, we will take a boat trip across uh, the Sea of Galilee. And you can literally stand on one side of the Sea of Galilee and see the other side. So when we think of a sea, we think of this vast ocean-like body of water. It's not like that. In fact, the locals in Israel call the Sea of Galilee Lake Tiberias. So they're exploring the, the Sea of Galilee area like they're searching for a missing person. 
Because Jesus was known to anchor in Capernaum, they eventually make their way around the lake, they find him there, and they ask him, Rabbi or teacher, when did you get here? And this whole discourse most likely takes place in the synagogue in Capernaum, and we will see that in just a few short months. So this wrong exploration leads to the wrong expectation, and we see that here beginning with verse 26. Verse 26 says, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, so that you believe in him who has sent me. Sent, has sent me. Who he has sent. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? See, they, they, were, all, <laughs> they were all caught up in these miracles, these signs. What work do you perform? Verse 31, our father ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. This is, this is so profound. Jesus begins to answer their question by giving them a rebuke. He essentially says, you are totally missing it. You're missing who I am. You have the wrong expectation. I performed these signs so that you would realize that I'm God incarnate. You love to witness the miracles, but you really love the fact that I fed you when you were hungry. And then Jesus begins to speak to them about their fascination with food. He says, you're pursuing me because of the physical food that I provided you. But you should be pursuing me because of the spiritual food that I offer to those who believe in me. The physical food is is temporal. It's going to eventually spoil and, and perish But the spiritual food that I offer is eternal and will never spoil and never perish. And this is exactly what people do. This is just like people, isn't it? We need to make sure that we don't fall into this same trap. They were only looking for physical blessings of the Lord And they lost track of his spiritual blessings. Somehow equating physical prosperity with spiritual prosperity. And this is the game that the prosperity gospel proponents play. They're always looking for physical things like health and wealth. If you've ever listened to these guys... I don't really recommend it, but if you do hear them, you're going to hear them talk a lot about physical blessings. Like, because they're rich and because they have a plane that flies them around and because 
they have bodyguards and all these kinds of things. Because of all of that, they say that I must be close to God. And other people look at that and they give their final dollar or their final 20 bucks to give to these charlatans so that they can fly around in airplanes and tell people that they're close to God. And they are so far away from God. They're evil. This is not true biblical Christianity. True biblical Christianity does not look for physical blessings. Yes, God is the blesser of mankind, and he does bless us. There's common grace. He's given us common grace where we get to enjoy all of the things that he's created. And yes, we celebrate that. And we know that every perfect gift comes from above. And we acknowledge that. And all that we have is because he has given it to us. And we acknowledge that. But that's not why we live our lives. You see, we're to live our lives for the future. We're to live our lives based upon eternity, not based upon the, the temporal values that we have or the temporal things in this life. And I'm convicted by this. I am convicted by this. I have thought a lot about it this week, and I can fall into the same trap, the same exact trap where I'm thinking about the temporal. I'm thinking about retirement. <laughs> I'm thinking about uh, how am I going to make it in retirement when I get to that age? And I'm thinking about where are we going to live? And I'm thinking about, are we going to be able to enjoy things when I'm in retirement? And all these kinds of things are coming into my mind. And, and those are traps. Those are, those are tra- that is not how I should be thinking, and it's not how you should be thinking. Yes, we need to prepare. Yes, we need to plan. I'm not saying that none of this is important, but I'm saying that we only get 79 years. We only get 79 years. That's the life expectancy in America. Some people live to be 100, maybe a little bit more, but some people die in their 40s and 50s and 60s. We only have a short time. What is it that we're about in this life? Are we about the temporal things, the physical things of this life, or are we about the eternal things? When we see our neighbors, do we see souls that need Jesus? When we go to the store, do we just see faces as we walk up and down the aisles? Or do we see people that need Jesus? And I say that, and we know that, but what are we doing about it? Honestly, what is it that we're doing that we are preparing for eternity? Yes, most of us here today have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We acknowledge that. We're grateful for it. We sang about it this morning and, and we, we celebrate that. But then we go on our way throughout the week and we concentrate our attention on physical things. And yes, we got to go to work because we need to provide for our family and God provides us jobs and, and all of that. But what is our mindset? Are we using the physical things that we have for the glory of God? Are we looking at our occupation or our job as a means for us to be able to be a witness for Christ? Or is it just to raise money so that we can buy more physical things? You see, life is perspective. And I think Jesus, he's talking about these people are unregenerate. All these people that are following him around are completely and totally pagan, unregenerate. They love the show. They love the miracles. They like the bread. 
but they don't want Jesus for who he is. And he's telling them that, ah, look, you guys are all missing it. You're all missing it. You love the bread that I gave you. You saw me walk on water. Yes, why do you think I've come to the earth? I've come because I am the bread of life and I've come to provide salvation to all who will believe. Side note here, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man here. You see that? The son of man, which means that he was physically born of the Virgin Mary. But he's also the Son of God, which means that he was sent by God to the earth for a certain purpose. And what is the purpose that John says here? The purpose is to do the will of the Father and die in the place of sinners. John 3.16 that we considered earlier in the gospel account here according to John, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. Jesus is the God-man. He is truly God and truly man. The theological term for that is the hypostatic union, the joining together of deity and and humanity forever in the person of Jesus Christ. I mentioned when we began our series that the word belief is used a lot in the Gospel of John. It's used here uh, a number of times as well. In John 3.16 that I just read, it talks about believing in Jesus. So what is it about Jesus that we must believe in? These people all believed in Jesus. They all believed he existed. They saw him. They watched him do miracles. They believed in him in a sense. But they didn't believe in him as the sinless son of God who who would go to the cross of Calvary and die in the place of sinners. And so where do we place our faith and trust? Do we place our faith and trust in circumstances, in things? Or do we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. This is what he's drilling down on to these people. And sadly, um, and, and we'll see this eventually, they don't get it. They just do not get it. Jesus is trying to say, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, I can provide you with eternal life. Physical bread pales in comparison to the spiritual bread that I offer. Jesus is truly God. He is truly man. The seal that Jesus speaks of here is really sort of up for debate. Some believe that he's speaking of the seal of the Spirit, which came upon Jesus at his baptisms, uh, baptism. Others have some different ideas. But it seems to me uh, that Jesus is speaking primarily about the Father's seal of approval. God approved of the mission of Jesus. He sent Jesus to come and to do his will on the earth. And so I think he's simply talking about the Father's seal of approval on his life. And so the people listen to Jesus. They essentially ask him, how can they work their way to this eternal life? And Jesus says, believe in me. Believe in me. And they respond by saying, hey, show us some more miracles. (laughs) Show us some more miracles and we might believe what you're saying. 
And then they begin to brag on Moses and give Moses the credit for the bread that came down out of heaven that we know as manna. And Jesus stops them. He corrects them. And he says, it was God who gave who gave your forefathers the physical manna, and that same God has offered you spiritual manna. This bread of God is, in fact, life-giving manna, but they just don't get it. They just don't get it. J.C. Ryle said this, they were always deceiving themselves with the idea that they wanted more evidence and pretending that if they had this evidence, they would believe thousands in every age, do just the same. The plain truth is that a lack is lack of heart, not lack of evidence that keeps people back from Christ. And all this leads to the wrong examination. So first, we had the wrong exploration. Second, the wrong expectation. And now third, the wrong examination. And we see that here in verse 35. This is where we started. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. And so after all this back and forth, Jesus jumps to the chase. He tells the people that he is the bread of life. And by equating himself with bread, Jesus is sharing with them that he is essential for eternal life. Just as bread is an essential food that keeps our physical being going, he says, I am the bread of life, and this is all about eternality. By equating himself with this bread, he's saying he is essential for life, eternal life. They all seem to crave this physical bread that Jesus provided them, but Jesus wants them to know that the spiritual bread that he offers is far more valuable. It's so valuable, he says, that if you receive this spiritual bread, you're nev- you'll never hunger. You'll never thirst again. You see how confusing this could be to them? But this is why Jesus came to the earth, not to provide physical bread that is perishable, but to provide spiritual bread which is imperishable. And Jesus says, you have seen me. So they saw him, they believed in it. You have seen me, and I have told told you, but you do not believe. And this is where Jesus teaches them about the doctrine of unconditional election, particular redemption. Jesus came to the earth to die in the place of sinners, to die in the place of all who would believe in him, to do the will of the Father, verse 40. His atonement would be substitutionary. He would die as the substitute for the particular sins of particular people. Ephesians 1.4 says, God unconditionally chose sinners for salvation before the foundation of the world. And those are the ones that Jesus is speaking of here, all that the Father has given to me. So who are the ones that the Father has given to Jesus, the love gift from the Father to the Son? It's all that the Father had chosen before the foundation of the world. You see, on the one hand, God has sovereignly chosen those who will be his. But on the other hand, those whom he has chosen to be his are those who will believe in Jesus. They're the same. And all this goes together. The prerequisite for eternal life is belief in Jesus Christ, who is the Son of Man and is the Son of God. 
And Jesus says unequivocally that every single person who comes to Jesus in faith, he will receive. Which leads us then to the wrong explanation in verses 38 through 40. Not that Jesus gives them the wrong explanation, but that they receive his explanation wrongly. The wrong explanation. So as we look to close this out, look at verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who has sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Folks, this should give us all the confidence in the world. We can't mess up our salvation. We can't mess it up. Because it's not us who keeps our salvation. It's Jesus who has done all the work. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Now, there are some that believe that we somehow are the cause of our salvation. So therefore, if we decide at some point to opt out, that we can do so. But there's a false premise with that. You see, God is on the front end of our salvation. Jesus is on the front end of our salvation. He is the author of our salvation, and then he finishes our salvation. This should give us all the confidence in the world. All those who believe in Jesus, he says, will not be lost. Jesus won't lose a single soul that the Father has given him. This is clear. There's this universal offer of the gospel. We are to tell all people about what Jesus Christ provides. We're to remind all people that they are sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus says that all who will believe in Him will be saved. So Jesus came to the earth to do the will of the Father. What's the will of the Father? To redeem all whom the Father has chosen before the foundation of the world for salvation. While Jesus had not yet gone to the cross to die in the place of sinners, it was all a certainty. It was all a certainty. God's whole plan to save sinners would be, per, would be carried out perfectly. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has provided for salvation, receives eternal life. And Jesus says that he will raise them up on the last day. Oh, what an amazing promise. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took the sin of all who would believe in him upon himself on the cross of Calvary to die in their place, to appease the anger and wrath and fury that God has against sin. We call that propitiation. Jesus propitiated the Father's wrath, by dying in the place of sinners. He came to do the will of the Father. 
He lived some 33-ish years on the earth in perfection to qualify to go to the cross as the sinless Son of God, the sinless Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist got it. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. (laughs) That's why he came. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. He wasn't there for people to come to him and to gravitate to him and to watch him and to listen to him. He was there to be the forerunner, to set the stage, to clear the path for Jesus. Jesus is at the height of his popularity, but watch how fast things change. Watch how fast things change. Jesus came to do the will of the Father, and he tells them, that's why I came. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the sins of all those who would ever believe upon himself, and he made perfect atonement for them. And so when we place our faith in him, our sins are imputed to Jesus, and his righteousness is imputed to us. Jesus satisfies our hunger and thirst for righteousness. He is our bread of life. Perhaps you've heard of Douglas Corrigan, who was better known as Wrongway Corrigan. (laughs) He was an American airplane pilot who lived from 1907 to 1995. And in July of 1938, after he flew a transcontinental flight from Long Beach, California to New York City, he was scheduled to fly back to Long Beach But instead, he flew to Ireland. When Corrigan was questioned about this, he claimed that his unauthorized transatlantic flight was due to a navigational error caused by heavy cloud cover that obscured landmarks and low-light conditions, causing him to misread his compass. Well, those who knew Corrigan believed he flew the wrong way on purpose. He never publicly admitted to having flown to Ireland intentionally. But for his whole life, he was referred to as Wrongway Corrigan. Wrongway Corrigan. So many people are flying the wrong way, and they either don't know it or they're intentionally choosing to do so. But either way, they need the bread of life. We need the bread of life. Only through Jesus is their spiritual life. People need to realize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through Him. You see, it's one thing to fly a plane in the wrong direction. He lands in Ireland, flies back. No big deal. But it's quite another to not recognize Jesus as the way of eternal life. Jesus is the bread of life. The picture is beautiful, isn't it? We need bread for physical sustenance, but we need Jesus for eternal sustenance, spiritual sustenance. And those who believe in Jesus, they'll never hunger, they'll never thirst. He completely satisfies Jesus is the bread of life. 
He is the way, the truth, and the life. If you're trying to earn your way to heaven, if your goals in life are, are purely physical in nature, nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice living, a nice this, a nice that, you're missing it. You're missing it. God gives us the 79 years, not for this life. Oh, sure, we have responsibility. Yes, we're to tell people about Jesus. Yes, we're to make disciples. Yes, we're to be ambassadors for Christ. Yes, we're to use the 79 years for the Lord's glory. But this life is all about the next life. You know how long eternity is? You you think about 79 years in light of eternity, it's like a blip. Not even a blip. It's like a boop. I mean... Think about it. Eternity. Eternal life is at stake for these people. All these people who are in the boats, they're going to find him. They find him at the synagogue in Capernaum, and they don't get it. They just don't understand. They don't realize why Jesus came. It wasn't to give them bread, physical bread. It was to give them spiritual bread. And none of them wanted a part of Jesus that way. So here we are living in this world, That isn't getting any better, right? Getting more and more difficult. I'm concerned about my grandkids as they grow up in this world that is really different than the world that I grew up in. What's most important for me to share with my grandkids? What was most important for me to share with my kids? Teach them how to play baseball. Teach them how to ride a bike. Teach them how to do this. Teach them how to do that. All of that is just stuff, just empty. Our responsibility is to teach people about the bread of life. This is our mission. As Jesus came to fulfill the mission that God had given to him, we also have a mission. And it's to tell people about Jesus Christ. You may be here today, but your heart is far from God. You may be trusting in your own good works to get you to heaven. The Apostle Paul spoke to this so clearly in Ephesians 2.8.9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not as a result of works. That's what these people were pursuing. Tell us how, how, how can we earn our way. You can't. It's by believing in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the bread of life. That's just the first of these seven I am statements that we'll explore as we go through our study and continue on in the Gospel of John. If you need Jesus Christ, He is the bread of life. If you believe in Christ and who He is and what He's provided for sinners on the cross of Calvary, you can have eternal life as opposed to eternal death in a real place called hell. Jesus is the bread of life. Tell someone that this week. Someone that you come in contact with, tell them that Jesus is the bread of life.
And hopefully the Lord will use that to bring you into a conversation. I'm going to take that challenge personally. And I'm going to tell people this week those exact words. Jesus is the bread of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing account of your son, the Lord Jesus, who came to the earth to do your will, to die in the place of sinners, to uh, redeem those who would believe in him. And Lord, as those in this body today, those most of us have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And if we have, may we think about what's important in life. What's important? Is it to live our lives for stuff, for things, for this temporal future, or to live our lives for You? Lord, thank You for saving so many of us from our sin. May we utilize this brief time that we have on this earth to do it for You. We thank You and praise You in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Pastor Flip.